Okay, we're going to jump right into the Word tonight. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, you can go to Romans 6 with me. And uh, as we're getting there, um, just a reminder, if you want to share a testimony, we, we do make space for that uh, every Sunday. We have them ready and prepared, and sometimes spur of the moment, so I just wanted to remind you guys, testimony time is available for your testimony. So if you have those, you can talk to me or Rebecca or um, email info at the light of Gmail and we'll uh, make space for that. Alright, um, you guys hanging in there? Those fans working alright? <laughs> Going old school. I wasn't here for a good portion of the worship because I was hanging out downstairs with my boys. Um, but uh, I, I caught the tail end of things, and um, yeah, I just do think uh, the spirit is moving in a sweet way tonight, and so we're going to just continue in that, and I want to encourage you, you know, as we transition from singing to uh, listening and receiving through the word, um, that we would, um, yes, use our minds in this, but we would also leave our hearts on, because I think there's some things that God wants to speak to us that he doesn't want to um, speak to us through our minds, but he wants to speak our spirits and our, and our hearts communicating that way so that actually we receive them before we understand them and that's part of why I, I prayed early for faith is because um, I think sometimes we think we need to understand a word before we can um, act on it or receive it or believe it uh, but I think sometimes it works the opposite where we actually we receive the word and there's something in our spirit that is um, that resonates with with God's spirit um, and we recognize it as true even before we maybe understand it and from there we actually um, when, we, uh, when we recognize it as true then we can uh, attach our faith and belief to say God I believe that to be true even though I don't really know what it means yet um, but if you're speaking it, then it's true. And if it's true, then I want to believe it. And attach our hearts and our faith to that. And, uh, and just say yes. And uh, I think there are some ways that God wants to bring us into um, understanding that actually works that way and not the opposite. I don't know if that made sense, but if it didn't, then that's just an illustration of what I'm talking about. <laughs> Perhaps. Um, tonight, uh, I just, I really, I really want this uh, message to take us deeper into relationship with God. That's my prayer, that's my desire, that's uh, what I believe God is wanting to do. And so, um, we're going to read the second half of Romans 6 and... Um, It's interesting because Romans 6 is discussing this problem of sin 
that exists and um, the way we are to respond to that and um, what it looks like for us to live in the freedom that Christ has given us to live um, in obedience to God rather than obedience to sin, obedience to our old life, our old self, and um, if we're not careful, we could see these portions of scripture as being uh, actually about sin. And in one sense they are, but um, we realize in the gospel that sin is, is actually um, small. Sin is small, and God is big. And as a result of that, in our understanding of life, I believe that same pattern is to be true. That in our lives, the problem of sin would be small compared to the answer that is Jesus. And unfortunately for much of the church, for much of history, the, the problem of sin, sin has still been the focus. Uh, has still been what we've um, been preoccupied by. When in fact, I believe that just as surely as Jesus took care of the problem of sin, do we believe that? It, if Jesus took care of the problem of sin, then sin is small. And, and thus our preoccupation with sin should be minor compared to now our preoccupation with God himself, with Jesus, who is so much bigger and greater and triumphant, whose word speaks a better declaration over our lives now. Are you guys with me? And wouldn't it be just like the enemy, if he can't stop God from solving the problem of sin, which he can't and he couldn't and he didn't, and so Jesus rose from the grave, and that is our proof of that, that Jesus couldn't be stopped by the enemy and by sin itself, by death itself. Wouldn't it be like the enemy if he can't stop what God had planned before the creation of the world to bring us into a reconciled relationship with God? Wouldn't it be like him to get us to continue to be preoccupied by the very thing that God took care of? You see, you see where I'm going with this? If he could do that, it's, it's not as though he's won in any sense because he'll never win. But um, maybe in the day-to-day -day battle, he can get some victories. Are you with me? The war has been won. But in the day-to-day -day living it out that we're in right now, the enemy would love for us to be preoccupied with what still hasn't come into the fullness here and now in the way that it is already in eternity because of Jesus. And if we make sin the focus, that's a telltale sign that that's happening and is happening, that, um, that the enemy is 
is, is winning in the day-to-day -day battle in some way, um, even though Jesus has already won the war. So what should be our focus then, if, if not sin? Don't get me wrong, sin is part of the equation, and um, we are to see it for what it is. Which is, in one sense, to not be deceived by its allure. To not be deceived that it still exists and it still would uh, seek to draw us to itself. The enemy would seek for us to be drawn back into the things that Jesus has already freed us from. But there's so much more than that. And in fact, I want to suggest to us that what, what we'll see in Scripture is that if we're going to walk free from the problem of sin, if we're going to walk in the freedom that Jesus himself has brought about for us already, and we've read that earlier in Romans 6 already, that we're, we're free now in Jesus. If we're going to walk in that freedom, then we have to have a perspective that is bigger than sin itself. And we're going to talk about what that includes. So let's read this, Romans 6, starting in verse 15. And this is the second time Paul is asking a very similar question. And this, the question is involving this problem of sin. This is what he says. He says, what then? Shall we sin because we are no, no, not under the law but under grace? And uh, if you remember, the similar question is at the beginning of Romans 6. And the answer is the same. By no means. By no means. Just don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey. So there's, there's something here about the mechanics of, um, of, of life as it relates to sin that Paul is breaking down for us, the spiritual reality of this. He says, do you... Don't you know that when you offer yourself to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your hearts the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. So I want you to pay attention to something there. Where does our obedience come from? It comes from our hearts. And that's actually going to give us a little clue into this peace that I believe is so much bigger than sin and so much more worth our attention as it relates to sin. Let's read that again, verse 17. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I'm using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, 
You were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Water break. Did you guys just think about that? So what is Paul saying here? In the middle of this, Paul says, in regards to freedom, you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. And then he uses the word freedom again, or this freedom again, when he refers to the opposite of that now present reality for those that are in Jesus. And it's in verse 20. He says, when you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. So this, this, this idea of freedom, which is one that um, matters to us, isn't it? Matters to our, our world. We, we want to be free, don't we? And um, we think that means that we call the shots. We think that means freedom in our world looks like getting to do whatever I want to do. But in Romans, he says freedom is defined by what you obey. He says, you're free in whom you obey. You're, you're free in what you obey. Meaning that your freedom is actually attached to your obedience. Meaning that uh, whatever it is that you obey, that is actually the thing that you are serving. In this translation, it says that's what you're a slave to, but... Um, this translation is really, um, or the, the root of this is really this idea of being a servant to something, tending to it, giving it your attention, giving it your energy. And so freedom is not just hanging out here somewhere. Freedom is actually attached to that which we obey. So our freedom is not just uh, arbitrary. In fact, we may not be as free as we think. In, in Romans, what he's saying is that freedom for the believer looks like the ability to now obey that which you could not before. The ability to give your time and your energy and your affection, your attention 
to God now. So it's a different definition of, of freedom than, than we have understood in our world. The ability to do whatever you want isn't the freedom that Romans is addressing. Actually, um, true freedom is the ability to give your life through your mind, will, and emotions and your, your actions to God now instead of what he says here, you were free from righteousness and you only gave yourself over to that which led to death, that is sin, and the desires that drew you to sin. Does that make sense? So for the believer, freedom looks like the ability to now obey God in a way that you couldn't before. That is freedom. But what he says here is that just because you're now free to obey God, it doesn't mean that you're not still free to obey the pattern that you used to live in. And in fact, he's saying if you obey sin, if you obey the desire that that leads to sin, then you're still, sin is still your master. So in one sense, we can say Jesus has definitely set us free, but if our obedience is still given over to things that lead to death, then we've given our freedom to someone other than God. So that's possible, that exists, and that's why he's asking the question, what should we do in light of the grace? Should we keep on sinning? And he wants us to see that if we do that, we're, we're not actually living out our freedom towards God. We're living out our freedom towards death. You guys with me? Okay. So before we were bound to sin, which is to say we were actually free from righteousness. We couldn't, we couldn't actually achieve it. But now we are bound to righteousness, and as a result, we are free from sin. That is now the freedom that we have. The freedom before was uh, the freedom from righteousness because you couldn't get there. But now we're free from sin because we are bound to God. We are bound to that which we obey. And this is, this is where I want to take this. So we're still talking about sin, but there's something really important underlying this that our obedience is connected to. What, what is it that makes us choose to obey God or choose to obey our old desires to obey sin? What is it that, that is the distinguishing factor between one and the other? I would suggest it is, it is our desire. It is, it is our love. It's our love. That word isn't used here in Romans 6, but, but it's actually under the surface here. We see it in, in many scriptures that in fact our obedience is linked to our love. And it, it looks like this. Whatever our obedience is linked to, 
underneath that there is a motivation. And that motivation is love itself. So why would we obey something other than God now? Other than we want it. Other than there's something that still draws us to it. Other than our hearts getting deceived to think that that actually is something we want. Because if, if you didn't, if you weren't drawn to it, like I want it, I need it, I, I, I think I might still love it, then it wouldn't have any place. It wouldn't actually draw you. There would be no temptation. So our, our desire, our love is actually the motivator for our obedience. And in this pattern, he says that you've been free and that um, your obedience to God is to be now your new inclination. But love is actually the underlying motivation. So without us understanding the, the need for love, then our obedience, it's either going to be misplaced or it's not going to be there at all. And in this pattern, our obedience comes from love, our motivation, and it leads to eternal life. That is our reward. That's what he says here. Which is to actually know God himself. Which is to live in the fullness of life as he intended it for you. Life there is this abundant thing. Earlier in Romans, he says that we now reign in life because of Jesus. That's what God desires for you. And that, that is actually the reward of your obedience. The reward of your obedience is living with God in the fullness that he intended, in the connection that he intended, in the intimacy that he wants you to have, enjoying this life the way he intended. That's your reward. There is a reward for your obedience. In, in the similar pattern, before and still, it's possible, our obedience was to sin. And still, desire, love, is still the motivator. We loved our old ways. We've been given a new love now. But we can still be deceived into thinking that those ways are still um, good and satisfying and worthy of our affection. And the reward, and there is a reward. It's not a good one, but there is a reward, and the reward is death itself. That was the very thing that was addressed in the garden. It didn't happen right away in the way that I think Adam and Eve might have thought. If you eat of this tree, you will surely die. Part of the death is being separated from God himself, being disconnected from the source of life. Death is the reward of obedience to sin and a desire towards it. Now, what about this love thing? Because I think this is actually what it all hinges on. It hinges on our affection. We, will, we are bound to that which we obey. We will obey that which we love. I want to read this in John 14, uh, because, again, it's not explicitly drawn out for us in Romans. John 14, the words of Jesus. 
in verse 15 through 21. If you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will see me. Oh, sorry, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. What Paul is talking about in Romans 6 is uh, actually already been said by Jesus. As it relates to our ability to obey God and the very thing that allows us to do that, it is His love for us and His love in us and our love as a response to Him expressed through our obedience. So it's interesting because in, in John 14, it sounds like a contingency. If you love me, keep my commands. Kind of like, prove it. But actually other translations read it like this, which may get you to think about it differently. As I was reading this, I was thinking about it a little bit differently in light of this. If you love me, you will keep my commands. It's it's subtle difference, but I want to suggest this, okay? And I, I I'm gonna give you um, permission and actually encourage you to just test this for yourself. Take some time reading, thinking about it. But I wonder if what Jesus is really saying here is that if you have love for God in you the obedience will follow. If you have love, let's, let's, let's hear it again. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. What if that's not something for us to prove, but that's actually a promise from God? What if love is not something we're trying to conjure up towards him, but it's something we've received from him. And we're actually called to live in. Love, is, love for God is not something that you can or I can produce. Love for God is the, the overflow of what we've received. Are you guys with me? How do we know that? Because it says that we didn't first love God. God first loved us. And it's, it's as we receive the truth of that, that God, you loved me first, that actually the love that God has for you, you receive it. You can't give God your love until you first receive his. And as you receive the love of God, you give that back to him. 
as a response. That's the gospel. Because otherwise, loving God could just be another work. God needs your love. He doesn't need your love. You didn't have any love to give him apart from the love he gave you. And you're just reflecting that back. You're giving that back. What you've received, you give back to God. What you've received, you give to others. That's what 1 John talks about. We're not going to go there, but just read 1 John. It's, it's actually just expounds on what we're reading in, in Romans 6 in a beautiful way. At, and it, 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 it really um, parallels the, the problem of sin with the answer that is the gospel, that is God's love for us and his love being present in our lives and us actually experiencing it and living in it and as a result walking in obedience to God. So I want to suggest this. Our problem isn't merely obedience. Our problem on a more fundamental level is our love. Let's say it another way. The solution isn't merely obedience. The solution is God's love. That's so important because that's what we're meant to focus on. That's meant to be the center of our attention, not sin. And if it is, when it is, and when we encounter it, and when we live in it, when we abide in it, obedience will follow. And let's just say, if, if for some reason there's a disconnect and it doesn't, we just come back to his love. And we let that be the thing that anchors us. And we let that be the thing that motivates us. And we let that be the thing we're focusing on. Even in the middle of sin, his love is bigger. His love is present. His love is on towards you, towards me. So why not focus on it? Why not let that be the thing that we rest in? All right, we're going to wrap up soon. I would suggest that the obedience that Jesus is talking about here is just evidence that our love is working. That God's love in us is working. It, it, and when you read it in 1 John, he's so plain about it. He's like, if you don't love, uh, you're not of God. Because John was so clear in his heart and his mind that if God's love is in you, it will lead to righteousness. If God's love is in you, it will lead to loving your neighbor. That if God's love is in you, it will lead to obedience and life. And so what I want to close this with is just a prayer. I believe in this way, the love of God is meant to be a divine motivator in our lives. And some of us, we've been, we've been focused on the wrong thing. We've either been focused on sin itself and not being able to get rid of certain things, or we've been perhaps focused on love, but 
but in a way where we're trying to get it rather than realizing we already have it. You can be motivated by love, but still in the wrong way, where you're trying to obey God to prove that you love Him, or you're trying to obey God to get His love that already exists for you. That was the older brother in the prodigal story. He was trying to prove and earn the love of his father, but he already had it. So his obedience was motivated by love, but it was motivated by trying to get a love that he already had. Let us rest in the love that we have already, that Jesus has so clearly shown us. And let that be the thing that as it's stirring in our hearts and our lives, as it's becoming more real and tangible and and deep, leads us into freedom to choose God. Let's pray. God, I know we talk about words like this so often and perhaps so much so that we forget what they mean and we forget how they work and we forget what they are and why they matter. But God, I believe you're speaking into this and, and just as surely as you are that you, um, you want to provide for us. And I believe the way that you're doing that first today is allowing us to see just how vital it is that we are keeping our hearts open towards you and that we are nurturing relationship with you and that we are first and foremost receiving, receiving the love that you want to give us. I'm just reminded of how many times I've, I've come to you with, with, with worries in my mind, with problems in my heart, with, with, with sin in front of me. And I've asked that question, God, what do you want to say? And almost always you, you've started by saying, my son, I love you. And there are times where that, that feels so um, ordinary that it, it loses its meaning. And I'm thinking I need something more profound than that. But you've taught me, you've taught me that is the very foundation of life in you. It is our identity that is to be most cherished, those loved of God. And so I'll write it down anyway. Even if I don't feel it, even if it doesn't seem to be the most important thing or the thing that's going to help me in that moment, I write it down because it's true. And because I have a feeling as many times as you've led with that word, God, you just want to remind me over and over and over again that you love me, that I am loved by you and there's nothing that will change that. And in fact, when I get that, when, it, when it, I encounter the truth of that again, it changes me. And God, that's my prayer for us. 
God, that we would be so impacted and grounded and rooted in your love for us. And we would know that because when we hear those words, they would be fresh to us. They would be life to us. They would be water for our souls. They would be power and life. They would be bread for us. I believe that was the bread that Jesus feasted on. First and foremost was your love for him. Your love for him. God, let that be bread for us. And if we're weary, if we're worn down, if we're distracted, if we're full of worry, if we're lacking affirmation, God, let us come to you. And let those words and and let the display of your love be fresh, be restorative, be life-giving, be food for our souls. God, I pray for a deepening, a deepening of our love with you. Believing that as it happens, when it happens, we're going to see it show up in our lives and, and this, this momentum of obedience, this momentum of, of willingly giving our yes to you. So God, that's my prayer for us. Let it be so. to take communion tonight and the reason we do this every week is because at its core it's what we're talking about tonight this is us receiving the love of God broken and poured out for us when you're ready to come